MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 34 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, September 8th. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, is Andrew Torres. Hi, Allison. Thank you. I am really, really looking forward to our show for today. Uh, we have Marcy Wheeler to talk uh, about a story that she broke regarding the disappearance of lawyer John Pierce. <laughs> I am fascinated by this story. And, uh, of course, you're going to... Talk about Supreme Court. But first, we have to thank our new patrons who've supported us over at patreon.com slash aisle45pod for as little as a buck an episode. That's right. So a very sincere thank you to Jill Tompkins, Juanita Toole, Dean A. Batha, Harold Heslop, and Aaron Singer. Yeah, and I want to thank Gianna Botica, Michael, Kent Quirk, and... Started at Scathing Atheist, and now we're here. Well, well, welcome. Oh, and by the way, last week I thanked Ein. Uh, I think it was either a typo on her end or I misread it. That was Aaron. So thank you, Aaron. And thank all of you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do it without you. Patreon.com slash A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Give us as little as a buck an episode. You might get to come hang out with us at a live show or get a live Zoom hangout like we do that. You know, pretty much once a month, we, we we shower you with some good stuff. Plus, you get the ad-free version of the show. It's uh, it's a great way to say uh, we love Allison and we tolerate Andrew and we want to <laughs> see this partnership continue. So now, with that in mind, on to the A Block. Yes, on to the A Block. And thanks again. And it was so great to see you and hang oh, out with man. all the patrons <laughs> at the live show last week. Such great fun. support. Uh, and thanks to the Hey Adams for housing us and... Volodymyr Zelensky uh, was staying at our hotel. So yeah. thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for anybody who was wondering what all the security was. Like, why was it so hard to get in here? You know, I was like, well, it's because we're here and this is a yeah, very well, important obviously. podcast. And we've got Glenn Kirshner and, you know, Andrew and I. And so, of course, we have heavy security details. Now, it was the president of Ukraine. But anyway, uh, we begin with the story that's on everyone's minds, mine included. Uh, how the Supreme Court allowed Texas SB 8 to go into effect, what the shadow docket means, and why this is so dangerous for America. Right now in Texas, abortion clinics are being shut down because SB 8 requires them to do two things. Okay, First, before performing any abortion, they have to, and I'm quoting the law directly, quote, determine whether the woman's unborn child has a detectable fetal heartbeat. 
Yeah. Uh, fetal heartbeat, not a thing. No, right? it's not at a s- thing. It's not a thing. At, at, <laughs> yeah. at six weeks, what you hear is there's a couple of cells that are forming a heart and there's a little bit of electricity happening. And the actual swish, swish sound is the sound made by the machine uh, that's <laughs> detecting the heartbeat. So there is no heartbeat. And regardless, Andrew, the privacy that's afforded us in the Constitution. Somebody put out a really great example. They said, you know, look, if, uh, if, uh, if, some, if some kid needs a bone marrow transplant, right? Have you read this example? I have not, but I think I know where you're going. It's really great. This kid needs a bone marrow transplant. I am the only chance he's got in the world. I'm the only person that has the exact right bone marrow to donate to this child, uh, or the child will die, right? And I decide not to. I am allowed to decide not to, despite any morality about that decision, despite any reason why, medical or otherwise. You know, I don't have to come out and say, hey, I will be medically hurt if, um, <laughs> you know, if this bone marrow transplant happens. I don't even have to prove that. That is the law. And it's the, the same should stand reason for a uterus. Uh, it. it- it's just yeah. <laughs> privacy. What I do with my uterus is my private business. And then we could talk about the wonderful movie Order of Rights, but we won't. Uh, we won't bore you with those. Uh, Let's not do that. Um, yeah, I, 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 on the rare occasions when I'm discussing abortion with someone, um, I do a filter first to find out, you know, if if they are open to discussion and. You know, so many I've just been programmed from birth to think that it's the, you know, Holocaust slaughter of yeah, whatever. Um, I, I use a version of that example, which is uh, uh, also merged with kind of the uh, uh, the urban legend. So, you know, you wake up in the proverbial bathtub full of ice and you find that somebody has sewn someone onto you that is being kept alive via your kidney. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it you have every right to go to the doctor and have that person severed from your body. Doesn't matter that they're a full, live, breathing human being. Yeah. It, right. That the yeah. point is, as as I think you you put it uh, so eloquently, right, like that those are your organs. It is your body. You have the privacy right to decide what to do with it. And, um, you know, the the, the discussions we're going to talk about SB8. Uh, the discussions over, you know, how close to viability, by the way, uh, six weeks, about four months away from viability. But um, it, 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 that's a nonsense question. It could be an adult inside you and you have the right to control who uses your organs. Anyway, um, you you laid out the first thing the law says you have to do this test to detect a fetal heartbeat, which is not a medical thing. The second thing you have to do, of course, is not provide an abortion if the test shows that detectable fetal heartbeat, which means as early as six weeks after conception. Right. So one missed period abortion is now prohibited in Texas. And if you're wondering, uh, gosh, Andrew, that that sure seems like totally unconstitutional. You're damn right. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And we just talked about that. You talked about it on the last opening arguments. And something I wanted to dive more deeply into is the entire concept of the shadow docket. We've been hearing <laughs> that term tossed around quite a bit. I want to make sure we're driving home the point that not only is the court full of judicial activists, of right-wing, as you say, howler monkeys, 
who are hell-bent on rebaking America into the handmaid's tale. Uh, it's full of cowardly right-wing howl- howler monkeys. So, Andrew, what is the shadow docket? Yeah, um, I'm glad we're going to break it down on here for everyone. So I I, I think our friend Steve Loddick was, was the first person to, to coin the term. Uh, in any event, it's a good one. Here's what it means. Um, and first, I'm going to explain what it's not, right? When people think about the Supreme Court, they think about what you learn in law school and what gets covered in the news and on our shows, right? That That is... Uh, the court of last resort that you don't get to go to automatically. They get to pick their own cases. And what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, right, all the way back to Marbury versus Madison, right, is look for areas where there are unsettled legal questions or where different courts have ruled different ways. And then they take those super tough cases. They issue a writ of certiorari. It gets briefed. You hear oral arguments. There's debate. And then they go back and forth and they make a decision. Yep. Yeah. And and that decision is then published for everyone to see. That mm-hmm. is called a published opinion. Uh, and you're right. When I think of, hey, Supreme Court has ruled, that's what I think of, right? A published opinion. It's probably 5-4. <laughs> and then yeah. there are uh, concurrences and dissents. Uh, and we've talked about Sheldon Whitehouse's amicus brief in the New York pistol and rifle case, right? That shows yeah, yeah. that the Roberts Court's 5-4 the Roberts Court's five four opinions have pretty much uniformly been to achieve conservative political outcomes. Like it's like something like seventy four of the last seventy seven prior yeah. prior to this term. But that's all the regular docket. That's been obviously politicized, radicalized, and used to partisan ends. But that's the regular docket. Yep. Yep. And 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 in that you've articulated sort of the rule of law point, right, which is even when the court's doing something terrible, which it is, when it does it on the regular docket, at least it's out in the open. And this is the crucial part. The justices have to write out the reasons why they've done a thing. And then we can dissect that. Right. We can critique it in law reviews. We can find ways to distinguish or work around it, test it for sound. All the stuff that I love doing in your basement. Right. Um <laughs> It's bad that the Supreme Court is making right wing law from the bench on the regular docket. But at least when they do it via regular written opinions, we know what they've done. We know how to respond. The shadow docket is everything else (laughs) that the Supreme Court does. And none of it has this rule of law attached to it. All right. So every everything else. Let me take a let me take a crack at this. Right. Uh, One of the things the Supreme Court does is hear emergency petitions. We saw a mm-hmm. lot of it during COVID, for example, right, where the churches wanted and generally got exemptions from statewide bans on large gatherings. This happened in like eight, that's eight different times in California. <laughs> Governor Newsom would issue an executive order. The church would go to a court with an emergency petition to stay that executive order uh, that would get denied Usually it would go up to the Ninth Circuit, which would deny it again, and then appeal to the Supreme Court, which sometimes granted the stay and sometimes didn't. We saw it a lot with the Trump cases, too. Yep. Yep. Uh, Trump absolutely abused the the shadow docket in in precisely this way. So let's let's kind of push, you know, merge those two things together. The important thing is that all of these rulings are what are are what are called non-merits rulings. They don't reach a final decision. They don't have any precedential value, right? It's just a question of do you meet the standards for emergency relief or not, right? And and that makes total sense when you're talking about does a law go into effect? Okay, well, we got to decide now cuz that law's going into effect in 24 hours. We don't have time to like write 
three months worth of briefs and then replies and all of that, right? Have a hearing. No, you just you have to make a snap decision. That's fine. But that's why the increased use of the shadow docket is is so terrifying. It's why all the religious freedom cases that you that you talked about make no sense, right? And contradict each other because none of them were decided on the merits, right? So the last one was Tandon versus Newsom. That was April of this year. It was an unsigned per curiam opinion, almost certainly written by Amy Coney Barrett. It said Governor Newsom's executive order should have been stayed because it treats churches differently than it treats, quote, some comparable secular businesses, end of quote. And in particular, it mentions liquor stores. OK, now, all right, I get it. Amy doesn't hang out in liquor stores. But if she'd asked me, right, if this had been on the merits, somebody would have told the court's conservatives, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, an important difference between liquor stores and church services is that people don't go into liquor stores for like an hour and a half and sing songs and spit on each other. Right. Like if you'd have had a hearing, someone would have said that. Yeah. But because this was the shadow docket, the judges just kind of by not doing anything or issuing a stay just got to make it up. Yeah. So does that explain why this landmark ruling allowed Texas SB 8, the nation's toughest so far anti-abortion law to go into effect? The entirety of the court's opinion doesn't mention abortion at all. Is that yeah. explain why that happened? Because it was a petition for injunctive relief, right? In this case, uh, one that was denied. So the Supreme Court can end its decision here by saying this order is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of the law and in no way limits other procedurally proper challenges to Texas law. Uh, but we're just going to let it go into effect. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. So, look, they can say <laughs> that this order does not is not based on a conclusion about the constitutionality of the law. Um, but if this wasn't on the shadow docket, uh, the logic that is used here would have had to have been subjected to, uh, you know, Justice Sotomayor, who might have had a few things to say about it, where it would have been laughed out of the cloakroom. So, uh, all right, here's what's going on. The five four majority here. Uh, that is the conservative wing minus Roberts, because this is a bridge too far even for him. Good for him. Uh, the 5-4 majority here admits that the abortion part of SB 8 is unconstitutional. Now, that should not be a big admission because, you know, Planned Parenthood versus Casey says banning pre-viability abortions is unconstitutional. And six weeks is like four months beforehand. Right. So I. I it, that should be totally non-controversial. They say, you know, petitioners have waged, you know, have raised strong constitutional concerns. That's as that's as far as Alito is going to go in uh, in in agreeing that a, an anti-abortion law is unconstitutional. But then the opinion says, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. We're not sure about the enforcement part, right? Because we're, we're going to talk about it. SB8 has this crazy vigilante justice stuff that's built into it, right? So because they're not sure about the vigilante stuff, they say, we're not going to do anything. Now, that reasoning is insane. You do not rescue an unconstitutional law by doing crazier stuff that's probably also unconstitutional. And if this had been on the merits, if there had been briefing, if there had been oral argument, you would have heard laughter at, mm. at someone bringing up that point, right? And if drafts of the opinions had been circulated, right, that's how opinions go back and forth. There is no way. Uh, look, 
I'm as big a critic as of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh as you can find. There is no way they would have signed off onto a merits opinion this stupid. So that's kind of like reminds me of when they made that submission in the Flynn case and nobody wanted to put their name on it. Mm hmm. You know, uh, exactly right. Like uh, or I mean, there's been so many things that went around that were d- issued and declared under the last presidency that nobody would sign their name to. <laughs> it's just like this anonymous declaration of uh, fuck all. Yeah. And, and, and that's what this reminds me of. And that's and and it should. Right. Like when the Supreme yeah. Court uses per curium. Right. That is and, and literally that's Latin for I'm not putting my name on that shit. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that's I put now, an asterisk that I may be getting my Latin wrong. <laughs> no, th- th- <laughs> that's that's not to say, though. That, you know, um, Gilead founder Amy Coney Barrett wouldn't have found (laughs) another way around this. Of course they would have, right? Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett were put on the court to overturn Roe. They're not going to let down their constituency and they're not going to let down their dark money donors and pull a Sandra Day O'Connor. But I think your point is, is that we would have had to say they would have had to put their name on it. Yep. We're overruling Planned Parenthood v. Casey. We're overturning Roe. They would have had to put their fucking names on it. And that's why you call it the coward howler monkeys. And here they got away with pretending like that wasn't what they were doing in this case. Yeah, that is that is exactly right. And so as a result, we now have a blatantly unconstitutional law going into effect as we speak, shutting down abortion providers in Texas as you are listening to the show. And the one weird trick that Texas used as their fig leaf to try and get was to leave all enforcement of this law to gangs of pro-life vigilantes. Yeah. And this is gross, right? I mean, if you think about it for any other thing, right, that your neighbor can privately turn you into the state for exercising something that's your constitutional right, for like owning a gun, you know, uh, your yep. neighbor can can surveil you, find out you own a gun, report you to the government, and then get money for it. Yeah, right? bring a civil lawsuit. Yeah, I, I mean, why don't why don't you break it down a little bit? <laughs> yeah, and and the way that this works is for any person who performs an abortion or intends to perform an abortion or knowingly engages in conduct that aids or abets the performance of an abortion, including paying for reimbursement of the cost, any person, so long as they are not an officer or employee of the state, can bring a civil lawsuit. And I think, Andrew, there's a 48-month period to do that in. So you got to look over shoulders for four years. Four years statute of limitations, yeah. And if they win, the damages at least are $10,000 per abortion. So that means you can sue the doctor, the person who sought it out, the friend or family member who paid for it, uh, the person who drove them to the clinic, or the person mm-hmm. who walked them past the line of howling crazy protesters with an umbrella to shield them from the the nanny camps. Anyone in that chain. Yeah. And and I know like it seems like it can't get worse, but it does. The law also incentivizes as many lawsuits as possible with fee shifting, which is incredibly rare in the American legal system. Here's how it works in SB8 and no other law in, in America that I know of. If you win, uh, the plaintiff gets the 10 grand, 
plus uh, and and by the way as you point out that's a minimum if the judge wants to grandstand because he's a pro-life asshole and i say he because of course they're he uh it just says 10 grand is the minimum there is no statutory maximum none can you imagine that in the in a statute creating a brand new cause of action no cap right he could award a million dollars he could award a billion dollars right like that would probably not stand up on appeal but i don't know who the hell knows in texas right and 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 then here's the kicker the plaintiff, if they win, also gets their attorney's fees paid. But if they lose, they don't have to pay the person that they've wrongfully sued. Right. So it's not it's not bilateral fee shifting. It is just, eh, why don't you take a shot? And by the way, uh, the 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 victim here, the defendant, will also have to pay your attorney's fees if you get wrongfully sued. I can tell you because. I, I I watched the operation of other fee shifting statutes that are not as close to being as one sided as this. This will incentivize bottom feeder lawyers to take these cases on contingency to drive around to so, so-called sidewalk counselors and churches and pro-life clinics uh, and a, a, a crisis pregnancy centers and sign people up to bring lawsuits, to bring as many of them as they can. Yeah. And and one such group that was doing this was Texas Right to Life, who put up mm-hmm. a, uh, hey, send your anonymous tips in. And uh, our group of, I guess I'm going to call them womb chasers. Um, <laughs> I've I've just coined that. I have not seen it yet. But these, this is what this is, right? Because I was thinking of ambulance chasers or slipping Jimmy from Better Call Saul, right? This is these are womb chasers. They're they're going to go around and they're going to, you know, are you uh, eligible? For, what, did you or a loved one suffer from, you know, <laughs> erratic behavior after drinking a monster energy drink in 2009? You call us today at Bender and Bender. They're going to have these ads and all these bus bench ads. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be gross. And it's terrifying because. I see conspiracies of these lawyers w- working with men who impregnate women to get this done. I see uh, from a if we want to go from a more Christian standpoint, right, a more a more a moral standpoint, I could see a, a man and woman team up to get pregnant and have an abortion and split the 10K, you know, like. I just this is so gross and so rife with so much potential corruption and illegality that it's this is what is exceedingly frightening to, I think, women who can see these all of these different scenarios possibly uh, flash before their eyes. There's going to be an increase in rape. I think there are going to be, uh, you know, uh, it's just absolutely stunning. And Merrick Garland today came out and said, well, we're going to make sure we enforce the FACE Act, um, which is just simply a law that's already been in effect since 1994 that disallows you to be violent or, or stop somebody from having access to a clinic, uh, but only for legal abortions. Right now, abortions are not legal past the six-week mark in Texas. Yeah. So this is, uh, I, I really hope that um, um, what Merrick Garland meant is, here's step one of 800 steps. I'm working on it. I got my heads in the books. Uh, we got our heads in the books, and we're going to come up with other stuff to prosecute and criminalize the vigilante uh, uh, response to this this absolutely outrageous law. Yeah, I, I, I agree a lot that you said there. 
a couple of things to just to, to knock on. Um, you uh, hinted at this. We, we should say SB8 contains no exception for rape. So, yeah, when you say teaming up, um, there is absolutely nothing in the law that prevents one of these vigilante plaintiffs from calling a rapist as a witness in the trial. The trial, uh, and again, most of these, it, 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 it's hard to even imagine how they can be disposed of. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, that, that would be permissible uh, to introduce the rapist's testimony. And I do um, believe I do believe it's uh, somewhere in the law. It says that the a rapist can't collect the money um, for the vigilante part, not for the abortion part, um, but for the vigilante part, to which I say, how wonderful that you live in a society where all women are believed and all rapes are prosecuted and convicted. Um, they are not. Uh, and something that can be done right now, and I'm urging congress to do this i'm urging right now call senator schumer and tell him to bring this to the floor it's the military justice act Mm. it takes the decision as to whether or not to prosecute a rape on a military base out of the chain of command where there's just too many conflicts of interest and it gives uh uh women and men everyone it gives everyone who who has been raped a safe place to report outside of their chain of command where they will not be retaliated against um you know there's just a too many conflicts of interest. And at, at the very least, we can give women who are in the military a fighting chance to safely report and get a prosecution of rape so that they can't be sued under SB8. Uh, they have 66 co-sponsors, Andrew. But for some reason, Jack Reed of Rhode Island, who's a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. Stopped unanimous consent. He wanted to go through the NDA procedure. It's going to be delayed until the NDA is passed. Um, and <clears throat> for some reason, Chuck Schumer won't bring it up to a full vote on the floor. I guess he's there's some political consideration. He doesn't want to piss off Jack Reed. Maybe they have some sort of a deal. I don't know what it is, but it's absolutely unconscionable that they would let this be delayed and allow so many more women and men to be assaulted in the military without a safe place to report in the meantime, while they're while they're marking it up in, in committee and trying to push it through the National Defense Authorization Act. I'm I'm incensed by this. So please, if you have a minute, give Chuck a call and tell yeah. him, bring this to the floor for a fucking vote. So at least the 30,000 women who are stationed at military bases in Texas have a fighting chance to report their rape at a safe place. Yeah. And I and I just want to emphasize that is uh, 171.208 subsection J. Uh, and and here's the extent of the carve out. It says a civil action may not be brought by a person who impregnated the abortion patient through an act of rape, sexual assault, incest or any other act prohibited by those the, the sexual assault provisions of the Texas Penal Code. Um, it says you may not bring the action. It does not say you may not collaborate with those who yeah. bring the action. It does not say you may not be a witness in the right. So, right. Uh, so I, I, I endorse what you've said a hundred percent. But I just want to emphasize just how narrow it is. Um, we are we are looking for ways uh, to uh, to help. Um, I, I think I also share your comments on uh, on on Merrick Garland. 
I, I hope that it is just the kind of he's going through the shell shock that we're all going through uh, that that the Supreme Court would um, uh, would 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 engage in such a brazen uh, disregard for for the rule of law. Um, I know Merrick Garland, right? Like I, I know that that has to that 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 has to be, you know, causing him to do the the Star Trek robot does not compute, you know, uh, and I hope he doesn't explode. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this is this is what the the the, the government's response right now is not enough. Um, I, I I have said, uh, you know, to me, uh, this is where you call up Kirsten Cinema and go, all right, if you're not willing to blow up the filibuster over this. What 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 are you doing here? Uh, but are yeah. uh, but even if a they lot of the Andrew, saying, if, yeah. even if yeah. they even if they blew up the filibuster, codified Roe, what do you think the Supreme Court would do to it? Um, I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. It, it yeah, needs yeah, to yeah, be yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. No, it, we don't ever not pass laws because the Supreme Court might not you know do anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just right. saying pass this law, codify Roe. Please do do do. But, you know, I have, I'm still concerned about it's the it's shelf life. I, I and you have every right to be uh, going back to NFIB versus Sebelius, uh, in which John Roberts, right, the opinion for which, you know, he's lauded by idiots as, you know, well, he saved Obamacare. And, you know, this is how moderate he is. John Roberts ruled that health insurance is not interstate commerce for purpose of passing federal laws. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, know, that's bonkers. Um, a law would be based on the idea that uh, that abortion is very clearly trafficking in interstate commerce. Right. That would be the grounds under which uh, you could uh, pass a a federal bill uh, enshrining abortion uh, as a uh, as a protected civil right. And um, and, and what you would do is you would preempt state laws to the contrary, which would include SB8. Uh, and then what you would do is you would state in the legislation that we intend to occupy the field. And what that means is don't try these million other state laws of maybe X, maybe Y, maybe Z. No, no, no. We think this area of interstate commerce is a thing that states should get out of. We can prove long histories of when abortion is not a constitutional right, it causes those seeking abortion to travel across borders, right? Uh, it, this is a slam dunk case, and it is the kind of thing that, again, I hear you, uh, but I, I I, I think if if it were that clear, it would be very difficult to get a Gorsuch or a Kavanaugh uh, to sign I feel like on. they're going to find a way around it. They're just going to find I a way like around gonna, it. They, they were, I feel they like were, they're going to try, but you know, I but I would point you to there is no way. I mean, Gorsuch does not agree uh, with the results from the um, uh, uh, from the uh, New York second, second, seventh, ninth circuit uh, Title Seven cases on uh, on sexual identity. Right. right. Um, there's no way he he wanted that outcome. Uh, but he looked at the law and said, based on my method of of statutory interpretation, sex includes gender identity. So uh, so I'm signing on to this opinion. That's that's our hope. OK, so look, when when I say our hope rests on the intellectual integrity of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, that should tell you the importance of breaking the filibuster and packing the court. Um, you know, there's there's no hope for Barrett Thomas. 
Alito. No, I mean, they, they, Amy Cody Barrett has been programmed her entire adult life to think that abortion is, you know, uh, uh, like Freddy Krueger from Jason. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it's bad. It is. It <sighs> is. But um, all that's horrible. So to cheer everyone up, we do have the strangest case <laughs> of the missing lawyer imaginable. And the woman who broke the story, one of our favorite guests, Marcy Wheeler. We'll be right back with her. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's Allison with Cleanup on L45. And today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Feels CBD. If you haven't tried CBD yet, you must. I highly recommend it. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, like stress and anxiety and insomnia. Feels CBD is safe, organic, and has been really helpful for me with pain relief, nervousness, and insomnia. And there's no hangover or addiction. Feels is a premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered right to your doorstep. Feels has helped me feel calmer, less sore after workouts. That's my particular favorite part. It elevates my mood, and it's helped me sleep better as well. Feel the difference within minutes by placing a few drops of Feels under your tongue. Finding the right dose of CBD is very important, and everyone's dose is different, so you know. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. Uh, you, you'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Very easy, and they have excellent customer service. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 50% off your order with free shipping. I've never seen such an amazing discount. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup, and become a member and get 50% automatically, automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash cleanup. Everybody, welcome back. We're happy to be joined today on Clean Up on Aisle 45 by Marcy Wheeler. She runs the uh, EmptyWheel.net blog and just has been following the insurrection cases so closely. And today we wanted to bring you on, Marcy, to talk about where in the world is John Pierce. And uh, first of all, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Great to be on. Uh, now, you kind of broke this story right uh a while a while back that he he was sort of missing in action this lawyer but can you start off by telling us who is john pierce where does he come from and how did you sort of bring it to the attention of kind of the world right now who the world that's following this that he's mia yeah um let me jump ahead to the how did i bring it to the attention all i did was live tweet a hearing so it was no big deal I, it was just one of those moments where you lie when you're covering something live and you put quote marks because you feel like something's going down. And yeah. then as you're typing it, you're like, holy shit, did that just happen? So that's where that's the middle point of this story. The, the backstory to it is this is the guy who um, basically latched on to Kyle Rittenhouse. Right. So the Kenosha killer, the guy who killed three people at Kenosha. Right. And he was going and he also wrote he wrote it. I mean, from I do a lot of surveillance stuff. I am an expert on FISA. He wrote Carter Page's FISA suit against DOJ. And it's horrible. And I wish it were not horrible, not because I have any love for Carter Page, but because we will never get a similarly situated person as Carter Page to be able to take this lawsuit. And he went to this, you know, goofball who knows nothing about FISA and it's a terrible lawsuit. Whereas I could have written a better lawsuit and I'm not a lawyer. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Carter Page, Rudy Giuliani, 
I'm going to miss one, but uh, the important one is Kyle Rittenhouse. While he was representing Kyle Rittenhouse, he tried to kind of brand Rittenhouse with the Proud Boys. He brought Rittenhouse down to Florida. Uh, he met Tario. He met a bunch of these other thugs. And um, Kyle Rittenhouse fired him because Kyle Rittenhouse knew that there were these fundraisers that were making a lot of money and John Pierce wasn't not only wasn't giving him the money, but he uh, wasn't giving him the bail money. So Rittenhouse was like in jail while Pierce was living large on the money that Rittenhouse had been raised for Rittenhouse because he was a celebrity. Yeah, and Andrew, so, Andrew and I have talked about that particular case with, I believe, Adam Klasfeld. Isn't that right, Andrew? Yeah, that's right. I, I actually, um, I have never been able to confirm uh the that sort of initial involvement right i mean it just sort of looked like pierce kind of showed up in wisconsin and ingratiated himself in the middle of this um uh, so yeah so i i i appreciate that uh that that background um so marcy i mean one of the things that we have seen with Kraken lawyers and with, you know, ridiculous lawsuits is you'll go, you'll pull up the web, you know, the website of the firm that's involved. And, you know, it's a guy who handles, uh, you know, drunk driving and slip and fall cases. Oh, and by the way, you know, uh, on the side, I handle defamation for people who are trying to uh, overthrow the Republic. Um, John Pierce, as far as I can tell, Pierce Bainbridge, I mean, it, it, it he has the superficial credentials uh, that seem to be uh, in line with someone doing this kind of work. Um, so I, I, I mean, you, you broke the story of his disappearance. Um, I, I, I've never seen this happen before where a, uh, a high profile uh, individual advertises on the website that we represent folks in connection with one six uh, just, up and vanishes into the ether yeah i mean so he's got some legal problems he's got some financial <laughs> problems he got he reportedly has um some substance abuse problems when i what happened was um you know you can call into these hearings yeah. and um i have different interests and i don't necessarily like the high profile ones and Early on, I developed a theory about John Pierce that, um, well, let me take a step back. In every, it, historically, uh, most of the times that white terrorists get charged, especially like big white terrorists, white terrorists who do something really big, what happens is they get off by telling this martyr story. Mm -hmm. And you need like, um, the, the, it, it was very well laid out in the book, Bring the War Home um by bellow and so mm -hmm. it's this like you go back and you tell these stories of these white terrorists and you say well these women were serving their men and these men were trying to protect the country and that's what i assume john pierce one of the many things that i assume john pierce is doing he wants to tell a story about january 6th which is radically at odds with gravity um <laughs> but uh the other thing i think he's doing is the the defendants he has selected a big probably half of them are people who could get joe biggs who's really a, a key person in what happened on january 6th so these people who are direct witnesses to stuff that went down with joe biggs and 
John Pierce is representing all of them or not all of them, but a huge number of them. And so I think he's doing a couple of things and then it's the grift. Like uh, it's, it's not clear how he's getting paid, but there are rumblings that, I mean, all of these people, their wives are doing fundraisers. Some of them are women. And so I don't know whether they're doing fundraisers. And so the idea is as with Kyle Rittenhouse, he'll get a cut of their fundraising. And so if he turns them into celebrities by making crazy claims, it's not going to help them legally, Yeah. but it's going to help him raise money. So that's the kind of grift that he's doing. And I'm, I plug into this hearing because now I've become obsessed about John Pierce because I would have just told you that, that he's was, protecting, was that he's like maybe trying to protect uh, bigs. He's protecting Joe Biggs, but the, I mean, the narrative, the martyr story is actually really important for people to understand because it's really hard to prosecute white terrorists in this country. Or, yeah. Yeah. Because of this, because it's a lot easier to tell these, to get juries to believe these compelling stories about white women than about Muslim men. Right. Um, and so that's one of the things that that is just real. That's just America. Um, and so I had been following it and I forget which of these assault, he, like, he also has these three assault defendants, um, all of whom have criminal records. One, one, like a phone book of a criminal record, quite extensive. Um, and he's chosen to defend them too. And, and, you know, these felons should know how the criminal defense system works because they've been through it. And nevertheless, they're convinced. John Pierce has gotten to them and said, you're innocent, even though they've been guilty, 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 guilty a bunch of times in the past. He's gotten to them and said, you're innocent. And um, and in a hearing for one of these assault defendants, you know, I, I when I live tweet, when things get carried away, I just type. Like my brain goes right to my fingers and so I was in that mode. And for whatever reason, I knew I threw up quotation marks because I knew something was coming. And that's when his associate, and we'll get to the associate who is <laughs> under indictment in Pennsylvania. That's when his associate, a guy by the name of Ryan Marshall, says, we believe he's in the hospital on a ventilator, unresponsive. And, you know, I, I close quote, and I'm just going, holy shit, did that, like, did that really, did I really, and I'm the only one who got the quote. I, uh, there was a Washington Post reporter on the line too. So I knew I wasn't crazy and it's been repeated in court transcripts since, but I was just like, did that really happen? <laughs> <laughs> did that, did he really? Because, you know, Pierce was in that hearing trying to acquire his 18th defendant. So he was like, oh yeah, we're just waiting for the notice of attorney appearance to, to appear. And, um, so everything's going great. And then Ryan Marshall, under indictment in Pennsylvania, says, for fraud, um, <laughs> says, says, um, says, yeah, well, he's on a ventilator in the response. And well, he's acquiring new clients. Now, how long, how long ago was that? Because I think, I could be wrong here, but I remember seeing a filing from John Pierce uh, just a few days ago. You did, uh, several. He has, he, we're using square, square quotes now. <laughs> he has continued to try and get a guy by the name of Christopher Worrell, who was his first uh, defendant. He is a proud boy from Florida who was sent to D.C. on buses that 
reportedly were paid for by Proud Boys. So, and he assaulted some cops. So, you know, he's somebody uh, with whom the Proud Boys more generally and whoever funded those bus bu those buses might have some kind of liability as well. But anyway, he um, Worrell has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and Pierce keeps trying to get him out, like keeps trying to say, well, he's sick, he needs to get out. And uh, one of the problems is that Worrell, left to his own devices, doesn't get actual accredited medical treatment. He goes to somebody, probably he wants a, he wants horse medicine, right? Sure. Um, uh, and, and, but, but like he, in this latest bid for release, John Pierce, scare quotes, says, uh, you know, he needs to be released because he can't get his medical care uh, in the hospital he's in, I mean, in the prison he's in. And DOJ is like, um, he has refused care on X date, X date, X date, X date, X date, X date. He keeps refusing to leave the hospital. I mean, leave the, I keep saying hospital. He keeps refusing to leave the jail to get medical care. And he wants to be released because he can't get medical care that he refuses. Oh, to so that's like when I eat the entire meal and then try to send it back at the restaurant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the filing, Allison, that you're talking about was in that guy's case. And it was the reply. And uh, though he, he, John Pierce, in quotes, in quotes, scare quotes, had to file the motion several times because he kept getting the jail. <laughs> that his client was at wrong um so it's just so so and and i mean i think everyone probably gets it but but all you need to do to file under the name of an attorney is have access to that attorney's login to whichever online filing system attorneys routinely turn that over to their secretaries paralegals assistants associates that sort of thing so I, I i'm not it's not real hard to read between the lines to suggest here that maybe the person filing is john pierce is not actually john pierce yeah and i was going to ask is that even legal to do can you file on behalf of another lawyer and say it's you if there's a lawyer actually supervising yeah. i mean this has already come up doj sent something to all of the defendants being represented by John Pierce. I actually think they may have missed one, but they sent something and they said, <laughs> they should hire you. <laughs> yeah, they uh, should. They said, they said, Hey judge, just so you know, and you have some leeway on making sure that these poor defendants have their, to have representation. Mm. This guy's AWOL. I saw and this. Yeah. I think the last, yeah, the last that they had heard from him was August 23rd. Uh, um, and, and, but the important thing is it's Ryan Marshall. So I've mentioned him. He's the associate, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I cannot wait to, to dig into this. <laughs> he is not barred. He's not a lawyer. And he's not a lawyer. And not only is he not a lawyer, but he's under indictment in the state of Pennsylvania for fraud he allegedly committed as a filing clerk in the courtroom, courthouse or something. God, so if he filed, but if he filed on behalf of John Pierce, that sounds like it would be also fraud that he could be under indictment for if he did that. I'm I'm just speculating. But I mean Well, yeah, I mean the other thing is like so in their filing, DOJ was like, you know, you can't without 
any kind of supervision as a non-lawyer file things like even file notice of appearances much less bail motions yeah right um so, so and- can, can we can we drill down on ryan marshall a little bit because i i i i have seen this story right it, it, this uh it broke I think uh, just about a year ago this time, right? August of 2020, mid-August of 2020. And back then, Marshall was working as a court clerk, right? Yes. Uh, And uh, the allegations are that he teamed up with another partner uh, and filed fraudulent papers before the judge in order to uh defraud like the the a widow out of eighty six thousand dollars from her accounts um and and i think there were up to like 30 charges in that case do so first first off do i have that right i think so i actually haven't you know i yeah i haven't read all of the details of that case but yeah he's like he's under he's under indictment for real fraud right and and as a as a courtroom (laughs) As a court employee. And 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 let me add, those court employees, court, court clerks, typically are not lawyers. They're not admitted to any bar. They haven't gone to law school. Right. It's just it's just a civilian job. So do, do we know, in fact, uh, whether Ryan Marshall has gone to law school at all? No, so well, she just said he's uh, not barred. He's not. No, yeah, but he's not barred. Right, oh, but you yeah. could have gone to law school and not oh, taken the bar yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. I, uh, Woods. He, I mean, right. yeah. This is the difference between him being Thomas and him, you know. <laughs> yeah. So as um, as this was rolling out, um, Judge Meta Amit Meta, who's <laughs> overseeing the, um, he's overseeing a ton of these cases. He happened to be overseeing both of the assault cases in addition to the um, Oath Keepers case. And one of the key oath keepers is also being represented by John Pierce. So Judge Mehta like has all of these balls in his lap right now. And and he's asking Ryan Marshall, he's like, well, so is there a lawyer who is barred? Let's start with D.C. Is there a lawyer who's admitted into D.C.? And uh, Marshall raises some other lawyer and Mehta's like, is he admitted into D.C.? And Marshall's like, no. And then Mates is like, well, what about this other partner? It's Pierce Bainbridge. Who is Bainbridge? And Marshall's like, never met the guy. <laughs> like, literally never met the guy. He works for Pierce Brain- Bainbridge. He's never met Bainbridge. Um, Bainbridge is a real estate guy. Um, so he's not going to, you know, he's, he's a bar lawyer, but he's a real estate guy. And so, um, so then Marshall says, well, we're considering trying to get me barred under the emergency provisions tied to COVID. What? <laughs> no, I, not, yeah. Like this whole thing keeps, it's just a rabbit hole. Don't go down here. It's just not, oh, you don't want to go down here. Oh, these, I I am diving into yeah, the rabbit no. hole, Andrew you know, likes, head first. Yeah. Andrew likes these <laughs> rabbit holes. But, but yeah, does, no, does, is but he even, crazy. is he it's even like, a JD? Like, is, is he even yeah. a JD? I, the, we don't know. We don't know. We don't. We don't know. We he has gone to law, some of law school, but he is not a lawyer. And and yeah, at every step, it's like you open a new door, and there's something even crazier behind the door. So that's where we were already on yeah. that day. When here I am typing, my fingers are on autopilot, and I'm typing that John Pierce 
has COVID is on a ventilator. And oh, by the way, that was about four or five days after he said, you know, I'll never take the vaccine. You couldn't stick that. In my right, right, right. Well, I think it's very, so, I think it's very interesting that the Department of Justice would send letters or the was it the court of Department of Justice send letters saying, hey, just want to make sure you all know, defense attorneys, you can't file anything if you're not barred. And you can't file on behalf of anybody if you're not barred. I just find it really, really interesting that they they sent it to the judges. They sent it to the judges. So they said to the okay. judges, "Please help us." And frankly, they're right. Yeah. Um, and one of the really, really super minor uh, John Pierce clients, Victoria White, um, it, it came up. You know, they're they're like the judge, Judge Faruqi, he's magistrate. He's like, you know, they're trying to look out for your rights to make sure that you have a lawyer and uh victoria was like they're just probably trying to make themselves look good but honestly they have a huge incentive oh yeah to ensure i mean they have to make sure for their that, own cases that they can't be appealed or or missed you don't have mistrials because they have the you know shit defend you know defense attorneys i mean that happens right so they did they sent to all of the judges again i think they missed one but they sent to all of the judges for these for these clients and said Look, you need to go. No, this guy's a wall. He might be on a ventilator. We don't know. He won't talk to us. His his associate doesn't know. And so you as a judge. And so not all judges have done this. Um, judge Meta is kind of saying, I'll give you a week and we'll see what we can do. Judge Friedman, uh, who's a senior, has two or three of these, three or four of these cases, and he has referred it back to the magistrate judge to try and find them lawyers. The rest haven't acted yet. Um, it's 18 people. I mean, well, I, I 16, assume, I guess, yeah. I assume the court and Andrew, maybe you can answer this. I assume the court can order a defendant to be assigned a, a public defender or represent themselves. You have a choice. We can't do this dance anymore. Uh, we have to do this properly and maybe make an order that says, "I'm either giving you a public defender or you're representing yourself. Choose. You have 24 hours. File a brief or whatever." Yeah, a absolutely. That is within the power of the court. I am gratified to know uh, and disclosure the show listeners know this, but uh, ju Judge Maida is a former partner of mine and, and a friend. And um, it, and again, you two know his name in connection with the Mueller investigation. He is um, I, again, I have some bias about this, but he is incredibly detail oriented. It is I, I cannot think of somebody on the de on the Court of Appeals, uh, sorry, on uh, the the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, who I would rather you know have alerted to this problem to sort of be able to uh, tackle it kind of top down and 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 still dig into the weeds of no 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 wait like get get me a real lawyer who's really admitted in D.C. in this court uh, or you know we're gonna have to. Uh, uh, make a, a tough choice. And, and, and that in fact would be the option, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah how I many mean, of the 18, done... how many of the 18 defendants are being held um, without bail because they've assaulted cops or because they're yep. being charged with conspiracy. They aren't going to want to languish there in jail Four, I think four of the 18. And that's just a, that's just a rough guess. Yeah. Um, but, but um, Meta actually, the, the prosecutors were sort of like, Judge, we're going to make a suggestion. We suggest that you know, you know, that you get the public defenders involved. Judge Fruki 
because he got them on his lap for ascertainment of counsel, basically had the PDs on the line and said, uh, ultimately, I think he hired, I mean, he hired, he, he, uh, Michelle Peterson, who's the number two in DC is Mm. now representing one of the people as an interim. And she's going to help this woman try and find counsel that she's comfortable with. So between the two of them, that's, six, seven of the defendants involved, and they both have something in, in, in plans. And then, um, you know, we'll see what happens after the holiday, after today. Um, but it's just, I mean, it is an urgent issue, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. some of these are, some of these are, you know, if my theory is right, which is that John Pierce is partly trying to set up a firewall for Joe Biggs and Enrique Tario, and therefore for the people who were in direct contact with the two of them who might live in the White House. Um, <laughs> we, you know, it is urgent that those people don't get a free ride because they were represented by a grifter. Yeah, or even delaying to get some sort of a, a speedy trial problem happening or. Uh, you know, un, unfit counsel sort of appeal thing. I mean, it's, it almost seems like sabotage to me. I mean, I'm, of course, just speculating. Well, well, I well mean, let sabotage me you, plus grift. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me give you an example. Like, so uh, the Oath Keeper that John Pierce is still representing is a guy named Kenneth Harrelson, who was maybe the second most senior Oath Keeper in Florida. Uh, the most senior was a car salesman. But uh, Kenneth Harrelson actually has a military background. And um, it appears that there was a plan on January 6th, which is uh, the Proud Boys launch the assault from the east. Alex Jones comes in. Joe Biggs's former employer comes in down Pennsylvania Avenue and gets the crowd to move to the east side. And then the crowd that Alex Jones has brought down Pennsylvania Avenue to the east side busts in a second front of the Capitol. Guess who meets Alex Jones on the top of the stairs just before they bust through the east doors? Joe Biggs and Kenneth Harrelson. Hmm. So Kenneth Harrelson appears to be one of the Oath Keepers who, if this, is, if this was in fact a plan, he's one of the Oath Keepers, one of the two or three Oath Keepers who was privy to it. Um, there was an alliance made between the militia in Florida, so the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and the Proud Boys, um, which would get you to Joe Biggs. So Kenneth Harrelson is actually a really, really critical defendant in the grand scheme of 600 defendants charged in January 6th, and he's currently represented by John Pierce. Badly represented, but <laughs> represented. I mean, like, I mean, honestly, it's just, it's, it's sort of, I, I I think many of these people are loathsome. Many of these people just got caught up in the moment, but they all really, really need good defense attorneys. And Don Pierce is not that guy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, well said. Do, do we have a minute or two to talk about the latest John Pierce side grift, the uh, National Constitutional Liberties Union? 
Sure. Yeah. I've yeah. We've got a couple minutes left. We can, we can cover that if you'd like. So uh, this is it's, it's NCLU, right? So it is trying to it, it, you know yet another kind of right wing effort to to parody the ACLU and and uh, and and explicitly fundraise on the back of it. Uh, if you type NCLU.com, uh, it will instantly pop up with a picture of. Come on, you get one guess. John Pierce. A uh, bald eagle, but close, oh, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, and stand up to tyranny. And the the web page was clearly put together in about seventeen minutes with a uh, you know a prepackaged uh, web tool. They rolled out like four little blog posts, but um, they need our help to protect the Constitution. So you can donate directly to the organization. Uh, there's a little warning box that tells you that those donations are not tax deductible. Um, but a- Allison and Marcy, um, if I told you who other than, you know, so John Pierce is the founder and CEO, uh, the chief financial officer for this August body uh, that is designed to protect our constitutional rights is, of course, indicted associate non-lawyer Ryan Joseph Jean Marshall. <laughs> uh, it, it, so, yeah, if you go there and you click on the team, uh, you could pull up. It is, as far as I can tell, the only picture, um, I mean, we may get a mugshot, but uh, that I can find of, of Ryan Marshall. Um, uh, he looks like someone rolled him out of bed uh, on a three-day bender and stuffed him into an ill-fitting suit and photographed him up against a brick wall. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but um, but yeah, so you can uh, you can donate money uh, to uh, help protect the foundations of liberty. Uh, and, uh, and, and don't worry, the person overseeing those finances is under indictment for fraud. Wow. Pretty incredible. Um, I think we need to, uh, to put a pin here, as you would say, Andrew, and check back in in, in a couple of weeks. I know we have a holiday right now, so we're not going to get any further on these stories as we talk today. But I, I just want to thank uh, Marcy, first of all, for your absolutely diligent work. And going down the rabbit hole after rabbit hole after <laughs> rabbit hole. Because, Andrew and I both, right? Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's just, um, it's pretty stunning to me all the kinds of, I mean, just on its face, stunning. And then when you even start to even speculate, just dip your toe in the speculative pool for a little second, it gets it just it's out of control. So I appreciate you coming on and explaining it to us. This today. story is like, I mean, I've covered rabbit holes before. This <laughs> is like, this is like a clown show rabbit hole because it's like every door is like, no, you're kidding. No, he's yeah. not under indictment. No, he's not on a, he's not on a ventilator. He's not an anti-vax guy. I mean, and, and it's, yeah, they each get crazier. So tune in next week for John Pierce's latest <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. Well, when so when you find him, and 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 I think if anyone single handedly is going to find John Pierce, it's going to be Marcy Wheeler. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they should hire again. They should hire you. Wait, oh, can can't you get can you get maybe barred in D.C. like under the yeah. emergency COVID <laughs> policies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'll use what? my comp lit PhD to do it. Right. That's just you know. I'm not indicted as far as I know. So. Yeah, uh, you know, my firm is looking for a second associate, so <laughs> <laughs> apparently uh, we could do worse. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, thanks um, so much. I appreciate your time today. And uh, I hope you'll come back and join us when we get a little. I mean, this 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 picture is only going to become more clear in, in the weeks and months ahead. All right. Take care, you guys. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for Clean Up on Aisle 45. Every year, U.S. businesses waste over $400 billion. That's $400 billion because bad writing. It causes confusion, misses the mark, takes too long to get to the point. On the flip side, better writing also helps businesses win and impress customers, enhances brand perception, improves internal communication, and strengthens relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for Teams. Going way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction, WordTune is the only AI-powered writing tool that not only understands meaning, but intent, and offers writing suggestions that help anyone achieve clear and compelling writing. It's the ultimate writing tool to elevate your entire team's writing instantly. Uh, I was wondering how a writing tool could possibly do this, so I gave it a try. WordTune is so helpful, I was amazed at its ability to understand what I was getting at. You simply highlight the copy you want to revise, and WordTune offers you a variety of alternative wordings. Plus, the ability to shorten or lengthen a sentence if you want, or you can even change its tone. WordTune improves performance on any project, everything from internal emails and press releases to sales outreach and customer service support, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, and WhatsApp, and more. You can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com cleanup. And if you're looking to elevate your entire team's writing, you can get a discount for the team today at wordtune.com cleanup. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. And better, faster writing means better business. So start writing with WordTune at wordtune.com cleanup. Everybody, welcome back. Gosh, Andrew, I love talking to Marcy. She knows, she is just, you know, people think that like when I was following the Mueller investigation that I had some sort of encyclopedic memory. Hers blows me away with everything she keeps in her noggin. I'm I'm with you. And, you know, what what I love about us, I mean, Marcy doesn't need us to platform her, but uh, with us platforming Marcy and, and folks like that, it is people who are just, doing the work right Mm -hmm. getting getting on those calls at each and every one of these hearings uh and um and and keeping track of everything and and putting it all together and uh you know that's that's what journalism used to be and i love that we've got uh folks like marcy doing that all right truly incredible well we got your favorite segment and mine comings (laughs) and goings it's a short segment today though andrew president biden announced two key nominations on september 2nd and these are the statements and releases. And uh, let's see, we have the intent to follow, uh, to nominate the following two individuals to serve in key roles. We got Brad Crabtree and Tristan Leavitt. I'm going to start us off with Brad Crabtree because that's my favorite right. name ever. He's been the nominee for Assistant Secretary for Fossil Energy and Carbon Management at the Department of Energy. Okay. Brad Crabtree serves as the Vice President for Carbon Management and the Great Plains Institute, the GPI, and has nearly three decades of experience in energy and climate policy. He oversees GPI's carbon management portfolio. He helped launch the State Carbon Capture Work Group, which is a 16-state initiative first convened in 2015 to foster commercial deployment of carbon capture and CO2 transport infrastructure. Uh, and this is he's he's at the DOE now. These are the kind of amazing people we have at our Department of Energy instead of Rick Perry, who <laughs> wanted to eliminate it and couldn't even remember the name of it. Um, so uh, I'm so, so thankful. 
Uh, he previously coordinated energy policy advisory groups for the Midwestern Governors Association. He facilitated the Midwestern Greenhouse Gas Reduction Accord Advisory Group for six governors and the Manitoba, the Manitoba Premier. He also co-directed Powering the Plains, which is GPI's original flagship project that helped develop a comprehensive 50-year regional blueprint for energy efficiency, renewable energy, and advanced coal technologies. That's interesting. Crabtree has led multiple overseas delegations of U.S. policymakers and private sector leaders to learn firsthand about carbon management and renewable energy technologies and policy experience. And I want to just sort of briefly interject what uh, I think is going on here. I think some of our uh, folks who listen, what do you mean, coal? Uh, what's not clean coal, boo, you know, no, advanced coal technologies, because Crabtree understands and understood that you couldn't just shut down all the coal plants uh, all at once and and mass, that there will be trailing, titrating off of coal. And while we're doing that, developing advanced coal management uh, to to make it the, the cleanest that it possibly can be. And I don't mean clean coal. I mean, advanced coal management to make it yeah. as best for the environment as you can make it. So I just wanted to toss that in there. I, I think you, <laughs> I I don't want to underestimate the persistence of, of some of our listeners, um, but I think you would be hard pressed to doubt sort of the, uh, the green bona fides of, of this administration, right? Top to bottom, people have been put into positions at interior and elsewhere uh, who are sincerely a part of, recognizing the climate catastrophe and taking steps. Now, you know, can we talk about policy? Can we talk about can you do more? Of course, right? Like this should be hairs on fire emergency, but like everything's on fire right now. So yeah, literally um, part of climate crisis is the it, fires it, in California. Right yeah, now. no, that's that, and that's right. And elsewhere. I don't want to. And, wanna and, and we, we do not have an administration who believes that, you know, global warming is a Chinese hoax anymore. Uh, and we're, we're not getting people who can't count to three uh, staffed at the at the DOE. So, um, uh Welcome aboard, Brad. Uh, I'm going to talk about Tristan. You say Levitt. I say Levitt. I'm not sure how he pronounces it, but he uh, has been nominated to the Merit Systems Protection Board. Um, He is currently the general counsel for MSPB. Um, So uh, he is he's also uh, because nobody has been there, uh, been in an acting capacity since March of 2019, because, you know, the other guy was just like, oh, well, I'd rather cripple an agency by uh, not submitting any nominees. Um, before that, he served for a year and a half at uh, OSC as the uh, principal deputy special counsel, including time as acting special counsel. So near and dear to my heart. Um, before uh, executive branch service, he worked on Capitol Hill, uh, conducting congressional investigations, handling uh, workforce policy issues. Um he uh, has spent time uh, across the aisle, right? So this is uh, somebody who uh, was on the um, uh, was on uh, Chuck Grassley's uh, staff and uh, worked f- with uh, Jason uh, Chaffetz. So somebody who uh, Republican holdover um, has been uh, doing the job and uh, as as part of this administration. Uh, has said, uh, OK, um, if uh, if if you've done your job competently and you're not a Trump hack, uh, we're going to we're going to vet and we're going to make sure 
that you can do that. So, well, that's you know, why I pronounce his name. Leave it. <laughs> I like it. So look, like that. This is one where you know we put a little asterisk by it. Um, I, I, I understand. We all kind of understand the importance of um, getting back to to the to the situation where you know it doesn't matter uh, the the partisan identity of of who appointed you. Um, one of the nice things is right. MSPB is is one of these where um, you have uh, a. Uh, a requirement to have members of differing parties, right? So if you've got somebody who's a Republican who uh, you think is a straight shooter, um, there's a strategic advantage to leaving that person uh, in that position. So uh, a little skeptical, yeah, uh, but um, you know, uh, but we're going to, we're going to give, we're going to give Tristan a tentative hello and see what happens. All right. Well, hello, but uh, but a big heartfelt hello to Crabtree. There you go. Uh, and uh, nobody, I I don't think there were any major departures uh, that we could talk about. I think those are pretty much done. But I don't know. I know that the I know that the EPA and DOJ and DHS are still cleaning out the ranks. So if we find any, we will let you know on comings and goings. We and, will. Andrew, that's all we've got today. Well, that's all. That's a. St- Still a super packed show, and uh, and I, as always, I uh, this is I look forward to this every week. You and I get to we get together. We 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 turn the cameras on over Zoom, even though we don't have to. It's an audio show, and I get to uh, watch the uh, delightful expressions on your face as we uh, mm. go through uh, uh, news, wonderful and horrible. So um, yeah, love it. Love doing the show. Thanks for thanks for uh, being here. Yeah, no, I love it too. And uh, everybody, we will see you next week. And in the meantime, you can catch us on OA and the Beans. That sounds like a weird cop buddy show. (laughs) (laughs) OA and the Beans. (laughs) I'm getting too old for this shit. And then you go, we both are. And then that's the whole show. All right. (laughs) Everybody, we'll see you next time uh, on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.